Do you long to know God better? In his book, The God You May Not Know, Pastor David Jeremiah walks readers through how to develop intimacy with God, discover his character, and encounter God's holiness. For a gift of any amount to Turning Point, you'll receive this inspiring book. Gifts of $55 or more will receive The Knowing Set, and gifts of $75 or more will receive The God You May Not Know Set. Learn more at davidjeremiah.ca. Welcome to Turning Point. You might consider a good person to be kind and generous according to human standards. But how do you determine God's goodness? Today, Dr. David Jeremiah explains that human standards fall far short of measuring the amazing and extravagant goodness of God. From his series on the attributes of God, here's David with today's message, Knowing a Good God. You know, we have been talking about this particular characteristic in church here in Shadow Mountain and uh, talking about the fact that there used to be a time when you would say about someone, he's a good man, or that's a good family, or that's a good church. And uh, that word has seemed to slip out of our vocabulary. And uh, part of it is the fact that we can't find things that that term uh, describes. But part of it is we have gotten so taken up with being critics of everything. It's very hard for us to be affirming of things that are good. Well, let me give you something you can always trust. You and I, we serve a good God. God is good. He is good. He is so good. And today we're going to talk about uh, the biblical foundation of that truth as we look at the attribute of the goodness of God. We'll start today, wrap it over the weekend onto Monday, and finish it up then. But I hope you have your Bible. Uh, maybe you have the study guide for this series. That would be great. If you did, you can find the chapter that goes with today's lesson and follow along. You can also get the book from which this series originates. It's a book entitled, The God You May Not Know, 263 pages of teaching on the attributes of God. And this book is yours for the asking when you send your gift to Turning Point during the month of April. Just ask for the book and it will be on its way. Well, the goodness of God is worthy of our investigation, so let's get started. A popular film critic recently reviewed all the movies he'd seen over the course of his career, and he made a list of the films. He said, these films are so bad that they're good. In some movies, the plot is so weak, the acting so poor, the production so flawed that the movies are worth watching just so we can laugh at them. And these movies have created a cult following for being so laughably bad, they gather together to watch these movies, not because they're good, but because they're so bad. Our world has a hard time distinguishing between good and bad. Our cultural values are changing so quickly that virtues once prized are now scorned and behavior once condemned is now celebrated. The prophet Isaiah anticipated this when he wrote, Woe to those who call evil good, and good evil, and put darkness for light, and light for darkness, who put bitter for sweet, and sweet for bitter. Social scientists are scrambling to try to redefine human goodness. 
They have a hard time breaking free from all the traditional values. In fact, in a USA Today article, Are You a Good Person? Morality experts say this is how to find out whether you're a good person or not. What does it actually mean to be good, they write. Social psychologists and religious leaders say we see eye to eye on the big stuff. We believe it's good to be kind and fair and just. It's bad to cheat and murder and steal. Evidence suggests we're all born with some innate sense of morality and fairness, which makes us sensitive to the distress of others. In this postmodern age of relative values, I find this a fascinating admission. Even non-religious people instinctively know there is a moral standard somewhere in the universe and that good and bad are objective realities. Even amid shifting morals and manners, we want to be good people, better people. In fact, over the last two years, the Marist poll that chronicles our New Year's resolution reports that being a better person has now topped the perennial favorite of losing weight. Everybody wants to be a better person even more than they want to lose weight. But goodness is so much more than the secular writers can convey. Goodness is God, and God is good. Goodness is an attribute of God himself, and until we see goodness as God is good, we really don't understand it at all. By the way, where do you think we got the English word good? It is just God with an extra O. One of the first prayers we teach our children to pray when they start to grow up in the faith is, God is great, God is good, and we thank him for our food. But when we say that, what do we mean? What do we mean when we say that God is good? The Bible presents this truth over and over again. I could spend the whole time of my message just quoting you passages from the Bible where we are told about the goodness of God. Exodus 34, 6 says, The Lord, the Lord God, merciful and gracious, long-suffering and abounding in goodness. First Chronicles 16, 34 says, Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. Psalm 34, 8 says, Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. When I say God is good, I mean he is gracious. I mean he is merciful. When I say that God is good, I'm talking about his perfection and his excellence. But the more I studied this word in the Bible, the more one central concept seems to jump out at me. It seems to me that God's goodness is conveyed mostly in his generosity. Perhaps God's quality of goodness means far more than his generosity, but it certainly includes his infinitely generous attitude toward you and me. By nature, God longs to bring blessing and joy to all of his creatures. And even as fallible human beings, most people feel a sense of satisfaction when we're able to do something for someone else. What's the source of that impulse? Where does it come from? It comes from being made in the image of God. God is the one who creates within us an innate desire to help somebody. Matthew seven eleven says, If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, 
How much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? So I want you to think of the greatest pleasure you've ever felt in doing something for somebody else and then multiply it by billions. And that is the heart of God in heaven. As we consider his goodness, here is how it affects us. Here are some derivatives from the goodness of God for us to use in our lives every day. First of all, God is good. He provides for us. We experience God's generous goodness by the way he takes care of us. Daniel Defoe has a famous novel we all know about. The novel's called Robinson Crusoe. It's about a rebellious young man who, through a series of misfortunes, ends up as the lone survivor of a shipwreck on a deserted island. Among the items he salvages from the floating debris in the ship's ruins is a Bible. And as he reads this Bible, marooned and desolate, Robinson learns of the goodness of God who provides forgiveness for our sin and gives us an endless supply of grace to meet all of our needs. And the young man joyfully trusts Christ as his Savior, and the island becomes sort of like a Bible college or a seminary where he is growing in his understanding of God through what he observes and through his Bible and he learns that he has a God who is good. But one day, Robinson receives a terrible jolt. He spots a footprint in the sand on the island, and he knows he isn't alone after all. Someone else is lurking nearby. He also is aware of the fact that this is among the cannibalistic islands, cannibalistic where they eat people. Robinson becomes a fearful man. He looks over his shoulder with every step. He's afraid to go to sleep at night, and he visualizes himself being captured, boiled, and devoured. All that former confidence in God, which was founded upon such wonderful experiences of his goodness, had now vanished. As if he who had fed me by miracles, he wrote, could not preserve me by his power. The provision which he had made for me by his goodness... One day, Robinson came face to face with the man who had made the footprint, and in the course of the story, he shared the gospel with him and led him to Christ, and Robinson named him Friday. (laughs) And the two became inseparable friends, and Robinson was strengthened in his faith to know God's goodness is truly able to provide for all of our needs, even on a deserted island. Most of us struggle with various fears, We're not looking over our shoulder wondering where the cannibals are. But many of us have anxieties, and those anxieties often represent a lack of faith in God's goodness. We just don't know if God cares, and sometimes we may even verbalize that in our prayers. God, are you watching? Do you know what's going on? Do you really care? The psalmist said, I would have lost heart unless I had believed that I would see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. I'm here to tell you today that no matter what the circumstances look like, behind all of the mist of the unknown is this truth. We have a God who is good. It's remarkable to think about that, but when we're in the will of God through Jesus Christ, we will never face a genuine need for which God doesn't give us a genuine provision. Whether we're stranded on a desert island or we simply feel that way, the Lord will provide. Think about this. 
The one who gave us lungs created air. The one who gave us stomachs supplies food and water. He who made us in his image provided companionship. And he who made us with eyes created spellbinding vistas for us to enjoy. He who made us with eternal souls provided a pathway to heaven through our Lord Jesus Christ. Whatever our need, the goodness of God provides the answer. Psalm 33, 5 says, The earth is full of the goodness of the Lord. At the beginning of this message, I quoted Psalm 34, 8, O taste and see that the Lord is good. And we tend to interpret that verse metaphorically and spiritually, but there's a literal truth to this. Sometimes we need to taste something desirable and say, this is from God and this is good. Sometimes we need to behold a gorgeous vista and remember God is good. Sometimes we need to smell a pleasing aroma and remember that God is good. He gave us five senses and his provisions come to us through all five of those senses to remind us of his goodness. God is good. He provides for us. Can we say an amen to that? Is God our provider? Amen. Number two, God is good and he's patient with us. We see God's goodness and generosity in his incredible patience with us. In fact, in the Bible, the idea of God's patience is frequently linked to the idea of his goodness. Psalm 100 verses 4 and 5 says, Be thankful to him and bless his name, for the Lord is good and his mercy is everlasting. God never runs out of mercy. He's a good God. The mercy of God represents his patience. All the blessings of God can be organized, men and women, under two headings, the grace of God and the mercy of God. The grace of God is everything God gives you that you don't deserve, and the mercy of God is everything God withholds from you that you do deserve. How many can give a happy amen that God is both gracious and merciful? His patience, his mercy never runs out. His mercy endures throughout all generations. I don't know about you, but I don't know how God puts up with us. <laughs> Have you ever prayed this prayer, Lord, it's me again, and it's the same thing again, and it's no better again than it was last time I was here. <laughs> and God says, okay, tell me about it, you know. It's like your child coming up to you after you've told them a hundred million times not to do it and they keep doing it. God never gives up on us. The Bible says when we need his wisdom, all we have to do is ask and he gives to all who ask without abrading them or without scolding them. God never scolds us for coming to him with our need. He's a patient God. The mercy of God is endless, infinite, and it's an outgrowth of God's goodness. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is merciful. If you think about it carefully, wouldn't you say that there's more goodness than mercy in the world? Of course, there's exceptions. There's deep suffering in some parts of the world. Some regions are racked with all kinds of pain and anguish of hurt. But where most of us live, would you not say my life has more goodness than misery? Isn't it interesting how we fixate on the negative and forget the positive? When Don and I started a church back in Fort Wayne, Indiana, we 
had some wonderful experiences there, but we had a few challenging ones too. And there was a guy in this church who, I don't know how to say this any other way. He was after my head. He didn't like me. He got to the place where he was resistant to what we were doing. I heard things that he was saying. Now, this guy was impressive because he was six foot six and he had white hair just like mine. And whenever you walked into a crowd, you could see him. What I found out I was doing is I was walking out on the platform to preach, and before I even prayed, I was looking to find out where this dude was. Is he here? You know? And I got so convicted about that. One day I was in my study, and I looked over on the desk in my study, and we had just produced a picture book of all the people in the church. It was really a nice thing because you could put faces with names and all the rest. And I looked at that book, and all of a sudden it hit me. I was fixating on one man, and here is a book full of the pictures of all the faithful people of God in our church. I had the choice either to rejoice that God had blessed us with so many wonderful, supportive people, or to fix my attention on one guy who was causing me grief. And all of us have that choice, do we not? We can either talk about the goodness of God, or we can commiserate, which means share our misery with each other. The Bible says, as a father pities his children, so the Lord pities those who fear him. He knows our frame, and he remembers that we are dust. In other words, God is not expecting perfection from us. God is even good to those who don't know him. Did you know that? He's good to those who don't fear him. He's good to those who curse him. He fills the world with common blessings. We call it in theology the common grace of God. It's available to the saved and to the unsaved. It's available to the good and the bad, to the righteous and the unrighteous. You don't have to be a Christian to know that God is good. The Bible says he makes his sun rise on the evil and on the good. He sends rain on the just and on the unjust. God gives some of his goodness to all of his people and all of his goodness to some of his people and none of us deserve any of it no matter what group we're in. The bottom line is none of God's people deserve his goodness, yet he has overwhelmed me with his goodness and he's done the same for you. He's a good God. His goodness comes to us in the form of divine patience. Oh, that men would give thanks to the Lord for his goodness and for his wonderful works to the children of men. I want so much to preach everything that I have prepared, and I never get to do that. I read a statement from my mentor, Dr. Haddon Robinson, who said, the measure of a good sermon is not what you put in, but what you take out. And I have to struggle with that all the time. I was going to give you a little minor exposition of Psalm 107, one of my favorite psalms, but let me just tell you about it and you can study it this week. This psalm is like a song that has a number of stanzas and the chorus keeps repeating itself. And the psalmist writes this and he talks about the struggles of his life. When he gets done talking about it, here comes the chorus. Oh, that men would give thanks to the Lord for his goodness, for his wonderful works to the children of men. And then he goes on and tells another story, and he gets done with the little story, and he comes back. Oh, that men would give thanks to the Lord for his goodness and for his wonderful works to the children of men. Four different times he says that same thing. Look it up. It's in verse 8, 15, 21, and 31 in Psalm 107. The same words, Oh, that men would give thanks to the Lord for his goodness and for his wonderful works to the children of men. 
And what that says to me is that no matter what's going on in our life, no matter how hard it may seem to us right now, maybe you're going through a difficult place. Maybe you've never been in a place like this before. But if you look, you will see the goodness of God, for it's everywhere. It's only when we block it out because we put our problems in the front of our mind and we forget how good God is. Oh, that men would give thanks to the Lord for his goodness and for his wonderful works to the children of men. God is good. He provides for us. And God is good. He's patient with us. And God is good. He protects us. God is our protector. God's goodness is seen in the way he cares for us. When I was ordained as a minister to the gospel many years ago, I went through the process that they went through then and that we do somewhat now. I had to write a paper outlining everything I believed about doctrine. And every word I wrote was evaluated by some pastors and professors who were on the ordination committee. Unfortunately, I live very close to Cedarville College, and so a number of Cedarville faculty members sat on that ordination council. At my oral examination, my father, who was a pastor, and my mother were present to hear me being questioned about my doctrinal understandings. One of the men questioning me said, Mr. Jeremiah, there is no statement in your paper of doctrinal positions on the subject of guardian angels. Do you believe in guardian angels? And before I could answer, my mother spoke up and said, if he doesn't, I do. I remember that. It just blurted right out of her mouth. And my mother is not the kind of person who would ever do that. It was so unusual. So, I mean, I remember it to this day. She was thinking in her mind of all the times God had rescued me from my foolish escapades. She would never have gotten me out of the childhood alive apart from God's blessing. I was a curious child. And yet the angels, the guardian angels, were with me. One time, for example, I was staying with my uncle on his farm in Pennsylvania. He had a herd of milk cows along with all kinds of equipment and two huge silos next to his barn. I was about nine or ten years old, and one day when I was playing around in the barn, I saw a ladder attached to the outside of one of those silos leading to a gate or a door at the top of the silo. And I decided to climb up and walk around on the silage in the top. What fun that was going to be. So I climbed up the ladder, and I started to step into the silo, and when I looked down, there was nothing in the silo. It was empty. It was one long, hollow tube. I was way, way up in the air, and my head started to spin, and I lost my nerve, and I started shaking, and I grabbed hold of the ladder with all that I had. And somehow I got myself turned around and inched back down that ladder. It was so terrifying. I can still feel my heart pounding after all these years. Every time I see a silo, I feel a jolt in my heart. <laughs> One slip and I would have plunged to my death. You see, I climbed the wrong silo. The other silo was full. This one wasn't. When I walked out, I got them reversed and I climbed the wrong one. I'm sure my mom was thinking of a number of such times when she blurted out the answer of my ordination. And Psalm 34 says it this way, the angel of the Lord encamps all around those who fear him and delivers them. Oh, taste and see 
that the Lord is good. What a combination of truths is found in that verse. And uh, maybe you haven't thought about it, but the presence of the angels who care for you and protect you is one of the evidences of God's goodness. He's a good God, and I don't know if he has a special angel for everybody. That's a big debate among theologians. But I've often thought it this way. If I can get um, 20,000 of them at once if I need them, why do I need one all by myself? Uh, The Bible teaches us that God is available to help us, and sometimes he uses his angelic host to do it. You know, one day I'm going to join with the angels and come back after uh, the tribulation period, and the Bible says the Lord Jesus is coming back with his saints and his angels, and we'll be in the same army together, coming back to observe the victory of the Lord Jesus over the enemies of evil. Well, uh, enough sidetracks there. Let me just say to you that we want you to have this book called The God You May Not Know. It's the resource for the month of April. It's a 263-page book on the attributes of God. And this book is yours for the asking when you send your gift to Turning Point during the month of April. It's a hardback book, beautifully designed, and you will turn to this many times in the years ahead as you contemplate the nature of Almighty God. Don't forget, Boise, Idaho is just around the corner. We'll be at the Extra Mile Arena next Thursday. Tickets available from davidjeremiah.org slash tour. Have a great weekend. For more information on Dr. Jeremiah's series, The God You May Not Know, please visit our website. There you'll also find two free ways to help you stay connected. Our monthly magazine, Turning Points, and our daily email devotional. Sign up today at davidjeremiah.ca slash radio. That's davidjeremiah.ca slash radio or call us at 800-946-4300. Ask for your copy of David's book, The God You May Not Know, and take the journey from knowing about God to knowing God. This helpful book is yours for a gift of any amount. You can also purchase the Jeremiah Study Bible in the English Standard, New International, and New King James Versions with notes and articles from Dr. Jeremiah's decades of study. Get all the details when you visit our website, davidjeremiah.ca slash radio. This is David Michael Jeremiah. Join us Monday as we continue the series, The God You May Not Know, on Turning Point with Dr. David Jeremiah. In all we do each day, Dr. David Jeremiah and Turning Point work to make a global impact for the kingdom of God. But we can't do it alone. That's where Bible Strong Partners come in. These loyal monthly supporters form the foundation of Turning Point, allowing Dr. Jeremiah to teach the whole counsel of God. Partnering with Turning Point enables you to share in the eternal impact of this ministry, leading people to Christ through our media and printed resources, multiplying Bible teaching broadcasts, presenting the gospel around the globe, and strengthening the saints. In appreciation for your partnership, Turning Point wants to provide you with exclusive monthly resources and study guides, member-only communications, an on-demand library of study content, and so much more. Are you ready to see what the Lord will do? Let's expect to change the world together. Go to davidjeremiah.ca slash BibleStrong to become a BibleStrong partner today. That's davidjeremiah.ca slash BibleStrong. Listen to this ancient Chinese proverb. If you are depressed, you are living in the past. If you are anxious, you are living in the future. If you are at peace, you are living in the present. We sometimes regret the past and we often worry about the future. So how do we live in the present in a way that gives us peace? 
the prophet Isaiah has the key. He wrote, You will keep him in perfect peace, whose mind is stayed on you, because he trusts in you. If our mind stays focused on God today, we will worry about neither the past nor the future. This is David Jeremiah, encouraging you to get on the road to new life. Discover God's peace on Route 66. Route 66, driving the word home. Log on to Route66life.com. Start your journey home today.